0: The views, ideas, and content of well seekers and their guests are their own opinions, and you should always seek additional professional help around any of the issues discussed here on Wellseekers. Hello. And I've been waiting to say this for a long time now. Welcome back to Wellseekers. I'm Lucia. If you're a fan of the show, you know that I've been on a bit of a break in 2023. Um, If you've listened to past episodes, you know that there's been a lot going on just in my personal life. So had to take a step back, but in that process of not recording and um, booking guests and working with my small but mighty team on social media and different aspects of this show, we've had an opportunity to step back, refocus, regroup. Um, We're decided to finish out 2023 with um, a four-part series here at Wellseekers. But when we come back in 2024, we have been going through a complete rebrand. There's going to be video as well as audio. So we will not be audio only and a bunch of other exciting announcements. So definitely make sure if you have not subscribed to subscribe to our feed and we will absolutely be back regularly in 2024 with a lot of new surprises, a lot of different things happening. So I can't wait to share them all with you in the next couple months. For all of you that sent messages and said how much you missed the podcast, I cannot tell you how much it meant to me to hear that this show has impacted your life and impacted your journey. I usually say it at the end of the show, but I'm going to start with it at the beginning since we're just joining one another for a bit now. But I am so deeply aware to my core that time is one of the few non-renewable resources that we all have. So when you have time and you spend it here with us, we are eternally grateful. I am eternally grateful for being a part of your journey and for letting you be, um, for being a part of your journey and for you being a part of mine as well. You're all like family to me. This is an extension of family to me. So thank you so much from all of us here for your messages while we were gone. You're definitely the reason why this show happens, So thank you. With that, there is something that has come across just to introduce our series, our next four part series. There's a word that's been getting a lot of buzz out there within the world of wellness, but also within the world of mental health and the world of spirituality and all the places that I sort of, you know, slink around and slink into, um, and in media as well. So these concepts that we talk about, really, we want to explore this one in particular, because we want to know what is this all about? Can it help you? Can it help your family? Can it help your community? Can it help your world? And that concept is something called manifestation. So I like to say it's sort of a buzzword. You hear it a lot. Well, like just manifest it, right? And I have never really known what that meant exactly. So I thought a great place to start since it's growing in popularity and working its way more into the mainstream vernacular, right? I'll see it on my feeds all the time and I'll I'll hear people talk about it as well. So as it makes its way more into our day to day, I thought it would be worth sharing about what manifestation is. What manifestation isn't, the good, the not so good, and everything in between so that you can go out there and use some of the concepts that are helping you and leave the ones that are not. So what is manifestation? Well, I thought I would start with just the Oxford Dictionary definition. It actually may be more confused. I'm going to read it to you anyway, though. Um, They define manifestation as an event, action, or object that clearly shows or embodies something, especially a theory or an abstract idea pretty much that means nothing to me. And I'd like to consider myself because I do do research. I oversee people's research projects and I still, I don't know what that means. So Oxford probably needs to work on that definition a little bit, or it just leads us to our conversation, which is manifestation is up to interpretation. And that's sort of what I think, even though We're on this journey together and this is going to be released as a four-part series. Uh, But I think what we're probably going to find, just because when I was doing research, there's so many different types of manifestation, wealth manifestation, relational manifestation, psychological manifestation, spiritual manifestation, right? You hear all of these terms, but what do they mean? And how can you actually apply them? My guess is that at the end of this, what we're going to learn is that there are lots of different meanings to manifestation. But instead of instead of me guessing, we're going to have four exceptional experts come on and talk about what manifestation is, what it isn't, how it applies, how you can use it, and the different pockets and areas that manifestation exists in. Usually, if you're a fan of the show or if you're a family member of the show, more than a fan. You know that I give a lot of research before we dive into our guests, but I have to say, because I don't know what manifestation is exactly, other than from my research learning, it's multiple different things. There's not much data to talk about, which also makes this an incredibly interesting, expansive, unknown place where we're headed. So come with us on this four-part journey, talking about manifestation. Our first guest is Dr. Anna Katharina Schaffner. She's going to join us. She wrote an incredible article that we will link on a platform called Psychology Today called The Problem with Believing and Manifesting, Ignoring Reality and Leaving Too Many Feeling Guilty. This is fascinating to me because my immediate reaction to manifestation was, gosh, but if it doesn't happen, aren't we blaming ourselves for it not happening? Um, and the article dives into a lot of these concepts. So instead of me just telling you about it, why don't we have the author come on and talk to all of us about what she feels like the problem with believing and manifesting is, what her definition of manifesting is, and the good and the not so good and how you can use it in your life to be a little bit more well, which is the goal here at well Seekers. So we'll be right back with our first guest here at well Seekers. You're listening to Well Seekers, a show where the journey is just as important as the destination. Welcome back. I am so excited to have our guest with us, Anna Katharina Schaffner. She is a burnout and exhaustion coach, a writer, and a professor of cultural history. She's the author of two books. She's also written a novel, various academic works, and published many articles. Anna is deeply passionate about helping her clients transition from a state of exhaustion to a state of vitality in which they can direct their energy to what really matters in their life. Her focus is on the importance of deepening self-knowledge and honing our capacity to practice radical acceptance and to take courageous action. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, thank you for having me. So Anna, I loved your article, And we were talking about it before you came on, on Psychology Today, and we'll post a link for that, about manifesting and some of the challenges in believing in manifesting, which I can't wait to talk to you about. Um, But first, could you give us some background on how you got into what you do? And what you do currently? Yeah, um, so I used to be in
1: academia, and I still I still have one foot um, at the university, so I still teach, but I um, my research uh, took me into you know the areas of exhaustion and self-improvement. And I've always really been interested in psychology and the long history of psychology and how ideas evol- evolve across cultures and across time spans. And when I wrote a book on exhaustion, um, it was also a very personal book because I have struggled with exhaustion and burnout myself. And so it was a kind of self exploration and an exploration of that topic from an academic perspective. And then when I wrote my second book on self improvement, I felt a really strong need to, you know, move away from theory and abstract ideas and to look at how we can actually apply some of the beautiful ideas I came across in um, my research. And then I started to train as a coach. And as I said, I've always been really interested in psychology. So literature and psychology have always been competing passions of mine. And then when I started to train as a coach, I um, started to work with very exhausted people and we've burned out people and it's just been incredibly rewarding work and also very humbling work and um, I would say that I really love being a coach much more than being an academic so I, I, I feel like my passion is definitely driving me more and more into coaching and into applied, you know, psychology and also I'm really interested in what we can, how we can bring sort of historical insights and psychological insights and sociological insights alive, you know, how they can become therapeutic, how they can help us to heal. And I do believe that, you know, history and philosophy have a lot of, you know, wonderful, Beautiful healing ideas that we need to learn to activate and to um you know to bring into our own lives. Because I do think that new models and new trends are not always the you know the most rewarding and the most healing ones. And um sometimes the ancient ideas actually have um stayed with us for so long because they work, you know, because there's something in them that has made them stay alive over thousands of years. And I think we have a lot to learn from from the ancients, um, especially re- with regards to mental well-being.
0: Yeah, you really talk a lot about the history in this article, which I found fascinating. <laughs> um, can you tell us a bit about the history of manifesting?
1: Yeah, so you know, when I I noticed that you know manifesting has popped up again as a massive trend in 2022, last year, you know, with um Nifosi's book on Nafusi's book on um manifest seven steps to living your best life that became an instant bestseller. And then I Thought about, you know, these other moments in history when manifesting or manifesting based self help was really popular, and then of course, there was Rhonda Burns' The Secret, which came out in 2006. Um, but even that book hooks into a much older history of kind of mind over matter doctrines of people who claim that our thoughts are magnetic, that they're omnipotent, and that they really have the power not just to determine our feelings, but to shape the external world. Um, so Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich from 1937 is another example. Um, but even he hooks into an older history. And um, so what I found really interesting was that these kind of ideas... Um, it first came to the fore in the 19th century, towards the end of the 19th century, um, in the so-called mind cure movement. Um, and mind cure or, or new thought, it was also called the new thought movement. And that movement is all about um, the assumption that our thoughts shape the external world, um, that our thinking has healing effects, um, and that sickness, even sickness, originates in the mind. Um, And there were some influential theorists, such as the American clockmaker Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, who basically argued that um, all disease is nothing but a false belief that manifests in the body in the form of physical symptoms. Um, And that idea of you know all illness being in our minds was also explored by Mary Baker Eddy who um created the church of christ scientist sect it's a christian sect um and they also really pushed the idea that sickness can be cured by prayer alone and the church of christ scientists are famous or i should say infamous for rejecting um medicine and any medical interventions because they believe that illness is just wrong thinking. So they don't allow um, their members to 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 take any medication. And of course that approach to healthcare is, is hugely dangerous and has actually led to the deaths of numerous sect members and their children. Um, but these ideas they really hook into um even older ideas about you know the nature of reality being spiritual and the idea that our our reality, our material reality is a kind of illusion. And you, we find that idea in many Eastern religions and we also find it in various
0: mystic doctrines. Just that concept. Can you expand a little bit about that, the illusion? You know, I think most of these
1: ideas are... Are kind of forms of magical thinking in the sense that um, they assign to our minds power over the environment, power over the material world. And the idea is that our thoughts can attract certain ideas, they send a certain frequency into the universe. And, you know, quite a lot of people who believe in manifesting also sound, uh, also cite quantum physics as, as proof for what they believe in. And, and the idea really is that the material world is kind of an illusion or something that we can influence by, you know, emitting just the right frequency of thought, just the right kind of
0: energies into, into space. So when you're talking about this concept of mind care... Tell us a bit about how that comes into manifesting as we see it today. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, you know, manifesting is also
1: rooted in the idea that our thoughts are omnipotent and that if we can only control our thoughts and if we can ensure that our thoughts are positive at all times, um we have almost infinite powers to you know to influence the material world so the mind cure movement and the um you know church of christ scientist sect they believe that if we think the right thoughts we can heal our bodies but manifesting is obviously uh, taking that into a slightly different direction in that manifesters believe if we think the right thoughts we can attract good events good people you know, good karma, good stuff happening to us, and also quite a lot of you know materialist objects or items into our lives. But I think underlying these ideas really is the ide- is the notion that our minds have um, power over the material world.
0: Mm. So when you see this this history of mind care. And how it plays out today in some of the concepts that you mentioned and, of course, in manifesting as well. Where do you see the danger coming in? Because there's so many different routes I see as you're talking.
1: Yeah. So I'm normally very kind of whatever works, right? Whatever makes people happy, whatever soothes people, whatever gives them hope, whatever, you know, makes them feel better. But I think with Manifesting really worries me at at a number of levels. So first of all, you know, this kind of idea of the law of attraction, you know, that you attract everything that happens to you, right? That's an underlying principle of manifesting. We attract what happens to us. And if good things happen to you, that's amazing, you know, and it's nice to think that you made that happen, you know, that you deserve that because you were in control of your thoughts and you actually... You know, you exercised mind control, and that's why the good stuff happened to you. So it's, it's comforting if good stuff is happening. But, you know, that idea has to also apply to, to bad stuff happening. And that's where I think manifesting is actually really, really cruel as an ideology because it's essentially victim blaming. It's, it suggests mm. that if we think negative thoughts, um, we attract bad stuff we attract bad karma we attract you know accidents we attract assault we we might even attract rape we might attract all sorts of misfortune and the assumption the underlying assumption is that it's kind of our fault because we failed to think positive thoughts and that's a doctrine that i find hugely problematic um and also if you look at you know the world as as a whole, if you look at the kind of more global situation, you know, like you could say people suffering horrendous poverty in the global south all kind of attract their abject poverty. And that's so obviously problematic to 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 even go there. Um so yeah, w- one key
0: issue I have with manifesting is that it's victim blaming. To be honest, Anna, this is what I have thought as well. And I've talked to many therapists, and coaches who draw in principles of manifesting as you explained it, right? Um, the secret and certain aspects like that. And I've always found it to be something where, well, if if you can attract all this positive, does that mean if something negative is happening, then that's your fault? And the answer I typically get back is yes, which is terrifying <laughs> to, to me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am just so curious if we used it as an as an example of something people typically right apply to manifesting. Let's use an example an example like a challenge, right? If you're not finding the love of your life. What's an alternative sort of mental health explanation that you could offer someone that isn't, well, you're just not manifesting correctly. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I, I, you know, personally, I I think, and and, and that brings me to another, your, your question brings me to another point I find problematic about manifesting. Manifesting is a kind of quick fix solution that doesn't require genuine learning and genuine growth and genuine long-term effort. And I do think most of our psychological challenges do require all of that. Um and the problem with manifesting is also that if you don't, you know, if you if you just repeat empty positive mantras, you don't learn anything, right? You don't gain any insights about yourself, about how you may relate to others. There's just no growth. There's no learning opportunity. And I do think, you know, the example you just brought, Lucia, is um is a good one. You know, if if you if you struggle to find um, the love of your life, I think what we need to explore is um, our patterns, our behaviors, how our childhood history has shaped us, how it might still influence us in the present. So my, my hunch would always be to deepen self-knowledge and then to take, you know, very slow, gradual steps towards changing our patterns and working on our behavior Um and and that's work right i mean there's a reason why why inner work is called inner work it takes effort it takes time it takes courage it takes perseverance and real commitment um and that can be painful as well you know like gaining insights about yourself is not always pleasant that can take us back to dark places in our past or it can also just seem really hard and and scary But I do think it's really the only way in which we can grow and in which we can address our personal challenges.
0: Mm, No, absolutely. Are there any examples that you have of people who have been harmed by manifesting that you've seen as clients? Because I can think of some, not professional, but I can think of personal stories. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think. I I mean, what I struggle with in my work is when people blame themselves for what happens to them. I always find that very sad and very, um, yeah, very kind of upsetting to behold. And I do think manifesting has that effect on many, you know, that they actually take, they assume agency where there is no agency. They assume that something happens to them because of something they did. And, you know, even when it comes to burnout and struggling in the workplace, a lot of people think, oh, I wasn't resilient enough. I wasn't strong enough. You know, I was too weak and I didn't stand up to that boss. But the fact is that I think a lot of our psychological suffering can be structural in nature. You know, it can come from the outside. It can come because of certain socioeconomic conditions. There is always something there that we cannot control and that might happen to us and then when people take responsibility for what happened to them uh, they add you know guilt and shame to what is already painful and and that's where you know I always try to intervene as a coach you know to say look you know that's something that happened to you that wasn't in your control what we can control is our reactions to what happens to us, to a certain extent, mm. even there, I would say there are limits, but um, we can work on how we react and, and what we do in response to what happens. But you know, to take full responsibility for what happens, what other people may do to us, I think is um, is adding, you know, extra layers of pain and suffering, and, and that's that's something that concerns me. Um, enormously, as a culture, you know, because a lot of people already have a tendency to blame themselves for all
0: sorts of things that they shouldn't be blaming themselves for, and again, I've just seen it used for what you just described, where it's there's a systems issue potentially causing distress, and then the person takes it on as something they didn't will into happening, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think this trend of manifesting has gained so much momentum worldwide?
1: Yeah, and you know and there would be more gentle in my analysis <laughs> because I do think manifesting uh, is soothing as a as an idea. You know, it's nice to feel all powerful and omnipotent. When it goes well, you know, when, when, when good things happen to us, it's, it's very nice to think that we deserve them and that we made them happen. Um, and I would also say that manifesting really just allows us to daydream. It's quite escapist. You know, we can kind of think, oh, I'm going to manifest this, you know, one million check one million dollar check and and a lot of, I think a lot of manifesting also my, my impression is revolves around very materialist desires. So I think a lot of people find it pleasant to, to dream about that and think that that can really happen and that they can make it happen. So I would say there's something escapist um, about manifesting. Um, and it's, it's also like, it allows us to imagine a better life, you know, in which all goes well, in which we are successful, rich, desirable, beautiful, you know, always socially at ease. There's something soothing about that. And I understand that. Um, And I do think, you know, when you look at the history of manifesting, manifesting books become bestsellers in times of social crisis. So, um, you know, Napoleon Hill's book came out during the Great Depression in 1937, when a lot of Americans were, you know, really struggling economically. Um, and so the idea that you could think yourself rich was obviously super attractive. And then Rhonda Burns' The Secret came out just before the financial crisis. And Nafuzi's book uh, came out last year, which is obviously also, you know, I mean, we've had difficult time. we are in, living in difficult times. Um, we, we were just coming out of COVID, you know, there was growing economic uncertainty, cost of living crisis, and of course, the Ukraine war started. So mm-hmm. I do think that in times of social uncertainty and, we, you know, when economically and socially things go badly, then I think manifesting has a particularly strong appeal when, you know, the, the zeitgeist is quite pessimistic in spirit, we're drawn to the overly optimistic self-help literature that's that's a kind of pattern i noticed in the history of self-improvement that there's always um you know a tendency to to go for you know books that overemphasize our agency to create change when we feel that we have very little agency in reality
0: for those that don't know what agency means can you just explain that a bit more and of what it means yeah so agency is when you think you can make things
1: happen you know when you think stuff is in your control um and and you you think you are the agent who can make change happen you know you can you can actually bring about positive change in your life and you can also influence the material world other people you can you can actually control your environment. It's about control and, and what you can control. But I think I'm I'm much more on the side of the stoics, you know, mm-hmm. the stoic philosophers who argue that very little in the exter- external world is under our control. What we can control is our inner world and our responses to external um events, and we can control our judgments and our reactions. Um, but we can't really control other people. We can't really control,
0: you know, what happens to us um, when we when we encounter others. So what we control is reaction and response and not the outcome. Yeah. And we can control effort. I think, you know, I do believe that we can control
1: attention and effort. You know, if we, if we want to really achieve something, we can put our attention there and we can put hours in, we can put practice in, we can put real work into that area. That's something we can control. Um, But we can't Mm
0: -hmm. ultimately control the outcome of our effort. No, absolutely. And I would even say effort is a reaction. Yeah. So putting effort and time into something that's important, but then there is an aspect of having to let go of the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And not blaming yourself if it doesn't come to fruition. Yeah. Are there any aspects of manifesting that you feel like are useful?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been overly negative so far. And I would say that generally speaking, um, and, you know, and psychological research has has provided a lot of evidence for that. General, generally speaking, optimistic thinking is better for us than pessimistic thinking, you know, and that a positive mindset, a growth mindset, um, an attitude that is more like can do problem solving will result in in better outcomes in life and um i do think that's true but i think manifesting goes well beyond optimism or um you know like a a kind of let's let's try and fail and try again kind of mindset but it is definitely the case that um optimistic thinking helps you know we need to have some kind of trust in um the fact that our future could be better than our present that what we do matters and that our efforts will matter so you know optimism is 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 a positive quality to have um but i wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as endorsing sort of blind optimism optimism needs to be based in reality and um we also need to be able to learn from failure you know that's why i think just pure positive thinking isn't helpful because we also need to look at what didn't go well and learn from that. And we also need to be able to cope with so-called negative feelings such as sadness and shame and fear. You know, they're part of the human spectrum of emotions. And I do think it's very wrong to just seek to repress them. They may be painful. They may be not very pleasant to experience. But if we want to experience good feelings, we also have to be able to to cope with the less pleasant ones and to stay with them and to develop a certain resilience because it also, you know, that's where my exhaustion coach side comes in. It's also really exhausting to repress the negative all the time, you know, and to artificially think positive thoughts. That's not natural, you know, that's not what we're attuned to do. And it costs energy, you know, uh, if we constantly try and repress the negative, that costs us a lot of energy and the negative will kind of bubble up and burst out because what we what we resist persists you know I think Mm -hmm. repression is
0: is never a good strategy I, I also think it's not the goal right I mean if we look at it from the lens of mental and emotional flexibility which should be the goal right of being able to handle any emotion or situation whatever that is I think that there is a toxic element to it when you're saying there's something wrong if you're feeling an emotion that's often coded as negative. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely agree with you, Lucia. I think psychological flexibility, as you say, is completely what we should be aiming for and, you know, train and we should train that like we would train a muscle, you know, like we would train underdeveloped muscles in the gym. We should just kind of get better at staying with feelings we may not like very well, like sadness. You know, sadness has a function. Um, if we want to feel joy and exuberance, we also need to be able to feel the opposite, you know, because otherwise it's just not real. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Psychological flexibility should be the
0: aim. I, I have this movement within myself, <laughs> Just <laughs> hasn't gone very far, um, but I even think labeling emotions as good and bad, right? It's an emotion that's an indicator of something
1: absolutely fully agree with you, you know even even to like we we're so afraid of sadness and feeling mm-hmm. sadness, and yet you know sadness can actually be it can be okay. it can put us in touch with ourselves, and also when we have the courage to feel what we're really feeling. Our emotional states change. You know they're dynamic. They don't stay the same. It's not like if we if we allow sadness, we won't be in a pool of sadness forever. You know our emotions are very, very, very dynamic. They they just change state. If you allow yourself to feel your sadness, you will be sad for a while, and then then something else will emerge. And um, yeah, and even 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 labeling emotions as as negative emo- emotions. I mean, I think really the only problematic, the more problematic ones are shame and guilt, and they're more cognitive. You know, they're, you know, I I would say guilt is more like a thought process. And it's when we take responsibility for stuff that we shouldn't be taking responsibility for,
0: for example. No, absolutely. And I just had two more questions if you had time. Could you just explain how you see mindset versus manifesting? Because I do think sometimes there's this wide range of what manifesting means now and I think it's become a buzzword when sometimes people are talking about mindset more. Does that make sense? Yeah yeah
1: completely I think that's a good question and it's important to differentiate between the two because you know mindset you know, the most pos- most famous uh, theory of mindset is probably you know the idea of the growth mindset and that is based on the idea of learning from failure you know becoming resilient and becoming able to look at areas in our lives where we where we may not have succeeded and to to get some lessons out of that and to try again um, and mindset is also you know a kind of growth mindset would also be about um believing that we we can grow we can we can develop skills we can actually um, learn and get better every day and I think that's something that I would fully endorse you know a growth mindset is incredibly important and the opposite of a growth mindset is a fixed mindset where we think you know our skills and our capacities are written in stone they're fixed we can never change or enhance them and our futures will not not ever be better than what we have now and that's obviously kind of you know that would make people feel helpless and um, pessimistic, and they probably wouldn't take action on on trying to change their lives. I, I do think mindset is very different from manifesting. You know, mindset is a kind of readiness to to learn and to see life as a as a process, as a
0: learning process. Yes. Thank you for that. I feel like that was so important to clarify because I know that especially on various social media, I think sometimes people are talking about mindset but using the word manifesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the problem with trends, isn't it? You know, they become such buzzwords and everyone kind of jumps on the bandwagon. And, and, and it's, I think very important sometimes to, to step back and say, okay, what does that term actually mean? And what are the implications of this? You know, if you think it through, what,
0: what am I subscribing to here? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And uh, just one last question. I'm, curious. If someone is thinking they're in a situation where maybe they were following the manifesting rules and things weren't going well, and they're looking for other directions and paths and methods, what are some of the methods that you would encourage them to explore a bit more. Hmm. Yeah.
1: See, I, I I believe in in some of the older models. You know, the ones that have been with us for centuries or even millennia. I do think we have a lot to learn from ancient philosophers and ancient wisdom practices. And a lot of modern self help actually builds on on older ideas. And it can be very helpful to go back to to some of those. Um, older sources. So personally, I'm a big fan of Stoicism to an extent. I mean, Stoicism has its blind spots as well, and I do think um, Kaizen is is a beautiful idea. I don't know if you've heard about Kaizen, but it's the art of incremental change. So it's the opposite of manifesting in lots of ways. Um, Kaizen is a kind of Japanese philosophy of very small step progress you know incremental persistent progress and it's about taking one step at a time and changing small things and that will have a cumulative effort and when we try try and tackle small things our you know system that wants uh, that wants to keep things as they are won't get too alarmed and um with kaizen every little improvement helps you know and it's it's more I think kaizen allows us to see life more as a a, a slow learning journey, um, and also to enjoy the process. You know, I think process is something that is also missing in manifesting. Like people are very focused on outcome, but but there's also how we get to what we want, and that should be enjoyable and fun as well. Um, so I would say, yeah, look up Kaizen, the idea of Kaizen. That's a really, really, there are some really good books on Kaizen. Um, it's the art of incremental change.
0: Thank you so much, Anna. Anna Katharina Safner, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. We're going to have all her links, ways to get in touch with her. And of course, that article from Psychology Today. Thank you so much, Anna, for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless and with pulse cellular you have the best options available switch to pulse cellular for unlimited talk text and high-speed data coast-to-coast with no contracts no credit checks and no overage fees one line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each including hotspot Wi-Fi calling and 50 gigs per line and for all you travelers we got you covered in Canada and Mexico plus text and data in over 210 countries worldwide all with the best phones, or bring your own. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com. Thanks for being part of the seekerhood. We couldn't do this without you. Now back to the show. Thank you so much to our guests and welcome back to Well Seekers. Wow. What an incredible starting place. As I said, I think and we t- we started to touch upon it a bit. I think there's going to be a lot of different definitions to manifesting. But if we're looking at it from a treatment perspective, a psychological perspective, what she shared was exceptionally powerful and I can see where there are pockets of challenges if you're using a very specific definition of manifesting in a very specific way as a psychological approach, as a treatment approach, right? Now as we said in the intro, there are lots of different approaches to manifesting. That is what I've learned in my research. And so the next three episodes are going to talk about some of those different approaches, a more spiritual approach, a more human design approach. These approaches, I think you're going to find could be incredibly useful and not in the way that we were just talking about. I think I said this at the beginning as well, but what I'm learning is that manifestation is a broad word. It's not even defined by the Oxford Dictionary. They don't even know what it is, right? So if Oxford doesn't know what manifestation is, then we've got to do this journey. We've got to talk to our guests and figure out what concept of manifestation works for you, works for the people you love, and how you can use it to make yourself and the ones you love better. Before we let you go, just to let you know, we're going to release all of these all at once, even though if you've only seen one promo, they're all going to be here in a Schafter's article is going to be linked. All our info will be linked. And of course, if you haven't subscribed, make sure to subscribe to our feed so you can be an official part of our family and follow us on Insta at Wellseekers. You can follow me at Lucia Naz. And we are going to be heading into the land of TikTok in 2024. So bold move here, but we're doing it. So just make sure to check us out and follow us to become part of our family. If you just want to listen, you're still welcome to the family. Um, you're still part of us. So from everyone here at Seekers, we you know, you have lots of choices. So thank you for spending this time with us, for being a part of our lives, a part of our journey and a part of our family. It truly means the world. We'll see you next time on Seekers. How would you like to join the conversation? Email us anytime at hello at wellseekers.com.